Popcorn Junkies, how are you? This is a review that I've wanted to, I've wanted to put this movie review out. This is one of those films that you feel has to be given every little pump of exposure or attention given to it as possible. So this film is Anatomy of a Fall. This is a French-German-English film. Those are the languages it's spoken in. I think it's a principally French-funded film. Um, it's directed by Justine Trier. Um, it has uh, a very small cast. Principally, it stars Sandra Huller as the lead woman. This film is a very simple conceit. It's a very, very simple concept. Um, this film pivots around, um, essentially, the unexpected fall to their death of Sandra's husband. Um, this is a, a film that pivots around and, and has as its sort of central premise the extent to which, and this is revealed in the trailer, so this is not, this is not a spoiler, uh, that essentially her husband has fallen to his death in the snow, pool of blood around his face um, and really the whole film explores did she didn't she could she could she have done was it a crime of passion was it a crime of frustration was it an argument was it an accident was he pushed was he nudged did he accidentally fall etc etc um, you know what happened to him this film also won the palm door and it's interesting that it won the palm door because another film a few years ago that won the palm door was a film called force majeure and force majeure was a film that essentially pivoted around a moment but a sort of huge occurrence uh, an avalanche um, and it, the whole film essentially sort of you know the rest of the film is about the aftermath of certain choices that were made by members of the family and so this film isn't interested in the drama of the fall in fact you don't see the fall you don't even really hear the fall um you just see the aftermath you have a sense of him dead and the whole film is essentially all about exploring uh, this woman's uh, life she's a you know and, and her relationship with her husband through her testimony there's enough about his fall to lead one or someone to possibly think that there was something untoward in it the film starts with the uh, central character sandra who's an author she's a successful author being interviewed by a younger woman a journalist uh, and there's a sense of a sort of potential kind of frisson flirtatious kind of thing this is amplified by the fact that we're an extreme close-up shot reverse shot of her the the author and the interviewer, the, the, the journalist. But accompanying this chat is the loudest, most abrasive, most obstructive and intrusive sound of music being played upstairs. And it's being played on a constant circular rewind. No sooner does the track finish and it goes back to the beginning and then it seems to get louder and louder and louder. And this is really interesting because, okay, so let's forget, this is really important for the actual story, for the case uh, as to whether, you know, she killed him or didn't kill him. And yet at the same time, right at the beginning of this film, this film does a really successful job of drawing your attention to all of the tools that are, at, uh, you know, in the filmmaker's handbook. These are two extreme close-ups. We've barely got a sense of where we are. We know we're in a sort of snowy place and we've just got really loud soundtrack, which makes it really, like, really loud music, which makes it really hard to hear what's actually being said. So you begin to get really irritated. And I thought, God, this is really obstructive and really annoying and really brave because for most people, you know, I think Natty would sit there and go, fucking hell, I can't, get, I can't bear this. I can't hear myself think, quite literally. Uh, and to the point that they can't hear themselves think. Um, and then it's after this interview has happened, uh, that the, the, it's revealed that her husband has tragically fallen to his his death or has he been pushed to his death or was he pushed to his death earlier so what happened to him what happened to him and how does this film work what makes this film work what what would make this film succeed i mean it's not it's not particularly show-offy it's not particularly inventive it's not experimental in its camera work it's not particularly you know sophisticatedly edited it's not engaging in clevernesses or even particularly too much filmic language what it's playing with is it's playing with character this film is all about character and it's the character of Sandra that is the, that is the you know, the beating heart of this film. Her performance is fantastic. Sandra Huller is the name of the, uh, the actress and her character is also called Sandra. We get one of the most intensely, searingly honest, difficult, 
um, awkward, sort of discomforting portraits, I think, in this film of a of a relationship, of a marriage, of a marriage of two, importantly, two creative people and how a tug of war, a creative tug of war, uh, a sense of rivalry, um, a sense of one-upmanship, a sense of um, control, a sense of fear between the two of them, how she has the upper hand, if you like, what you discover is that she has the upper hand, she's the more successful. Has she nicked ideas of her husband's from other from books that he started but failed to complete? Or has he given up on his ambition? Probably truth in a bit of both of those sides of the equation. And so what becomes apparent is that we have potentially quite a quietly ambitious, quite a quietly manipulative, maybe, female author. This film asks us to ask questions about what it means to be a creative. You know, on the one hand, and what's so clever about the lead actress's performances, she could be everything she says she is. She was in a troubled relationship. She felt trauma over their son. They have a son together who's partially sighted, went through an accident when they were younger, and she cites that as being the cause for her husband, who's also a writer, uh, for him stopping. He, he was much closer to the boy. He was much more involved in the boy's day-to-day -day life. So this film also kicks up ideas of... Um, rivalry between male and female parents, you know, the mum versus the dad. Interestingly, she's obviously had affairs or flings. She's also bisexual. She, there's also this frisson with this journalist at the beginning, at the beginning of this film too. So there's the suggestion that perhaps their relationship was under sort of pressure because she was finding her sort of sexual sort of uh, satisfaction and sexual interest elsewhere and not with him. And yet, meanwhile, he was perhaps feeling emasculated because he, he was the main carer of the child, this child who he kind of felt a huge responsibility for this child accident and never really could get over that whereas she in a sense could so this film sort of treads around all that stuff of okay well there's one way of viewing her is oh she's a really manipulative Machiavellian um self-serving ambitious um ruthless um sort of narcissistic kind of do anything and use anything in her life to create fiction so you know there's a moment in the courtroom later in the film when they're sort of you know trying her if you like to see if she she's guilty of murder they're sort of you know they they, they read from her books and, and we discover that so many of her books and so much of her writing is based upon her real life traumas to what extent did she eclipse her husband to what extent did she vampirically drain her husband of his own ambition and literally as he says in a very very powerful scene that i'll talk about in a minute later in the film he talks about him sort of hiding his his light under a bushel and closing off his ambitions whereas she actually describes him as being afraid but maybe maybe that suits her so this gives us a sort of 300 so in retrospect and in and in present day we're given a sort of 360 degree really intense really detailed really layered but when i say layered that doesn't mean anything too complicated is going on sandra um sandra huller the actress's face is it's a poker face it's inscrutable she's impassive she's sort of not a lot is going on and yet at times you think is that a, does that demonstrate a sense of disconnection that she feels nothing about her child i mean she doesn't really seem to have much time to be upset actually about the loss of him rather than actually trying to work out how her and someone who clearly she's had a bit of a fling with or a thing with or a relationship with or friendship with her her lawyer uh whether she can actually just get off from you know it looking like she's killed him she never admits to killing him there's never any sense that she has killed him she doesn't tell her lawyer uh, who's a close friend or perhaps someone that she's had a bit of a sexual thing with she doesn't reveal to him that you know she she pushed him but could this whole film actually be an elaborate sort of alibi between the two of them covering up for something that they knew was an ine inevitability and so you have this sort of portrait of her with no as i say no bells no whistles no cleverness a few flashbacks we get we move into court scenes i mean it's described as a courtroom drama that, that doesn't really do it yeah, that sounds that always runs the risk of sound, sounding really dry i have to say though if, if this is a 
French court, things are done differently there. You know, the prosecutor will ask someone in the dock a question and then ask the person who's being accused of murder something. So, And they're allowed to talk to each other. It's a lot more sort of discursive. And so we're asking this question, or I was asking this question, maybe maybe no one else was. I was asking myself, um, are we are we actually witnessing a narcissistic monster uh, who, who who's managing to turn all of her relationships to her own advantage, who's actually managing to hide behind this quite sort of benign, sort of inexpressive front and facade and by hiding behind it she's actually hiding a sort of psychopathy and a, and a deeply disturbed kind of sinister self-serving ambition that, that doesn't mind throwing her husband off a off a off a ledge or what her defense kind of moves towards and the defense that she kind of throws up is is the idea that his resentment and his frustration and his upset around her success versus his success led to him potentially killing himself so she tries to mount this idea that he might have killed himself could he have killed himself he might have killed himself he might have fallen a lot of attention is given to the kind of the forensics that if he fell he couldn't have fallen a certain way there are two blood splat marks that meant that he couldn't have been pushed or he must have been hit so there's the suggestion he must have been hit hard before he fell because he wouldn't have been able to fall in the way that he did. What makes this film actually so successful is it's so convincingly and in a layered fashion possible that she did it or that she didn't do it. If I was to give you my sense of things, I think she did. I think she's potentially a really sinister, she's almost a sort of indie cinema, French cinema, indie noir type film version of the character from Misery. She's a nutter. I think she's a nutter. I think the child is petrified. I think the fact that the child has this sort of partially sighted injury so he can't see too much and even when he gives evidence it's kind of unreliable evidence and there's a and there's a real tense kind of relationship between you know what does he really know about their relationship? What does he really know that happened? And is he was he pulling for his dad and does he know that what his dad was like? Was it a more aggressive and angry relationship than perhaps we know or does he know that actually he knows that his mum did it does the boy know that his mum did it but he also knows that he's only got his mum so he's a survivor too there's one creature in this that knows everything i think and that's the dog the film starts with the dog the ball bounces down the stairs the dog picks it up the dog looks a lot the dog walks around a lot the dog is a very good performer it's one of the best best dog performances i've seen in a film in quite a few years and and it's you know the final shot in the film is is sandra the woman hugging you know embracing the dog on a bed and you're left thinking what does the dog know it's a swirling mass of intrigue around this really implacable quite sort of as i say sort of boring woman and sort of she's neither particularly beautiful she's neither particularly creative she's not a particularly nice character she seems when she wins the case she seems she says it herself she says i'm sort of pleased i've won something but what have i won i haven't won anything and then there's this one moment at the center of this film at the center of this film there is this one particular scene which is actually triggered by some audio evidence that's presented in the courtroom um, and as they hit play on the audio evidence it, the film sort of cleverly sort of cuts to us seeing what was recorded and we see the scene played out and i have to say that this was about 12 to 15 minutes a 12 to 15 minute scene between a two creatives in a relationship it was brilliantly written it was fantastically performed they 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 dovetailed and 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 intercepted all sorts of topics of parenthood sacrifice the things that he'd sacrificed in terms of his creativity and his time and his his passion the things that she'd sacrificed in terms of moving to his country sacrificing her friends sacrificing their relationship in terms of her finding uh, you know satisfaction in other people in terms of him loving his child but also loving his craft and him wanting to find the freedom i mean he talks actually in this argument about this is the time for me i want to 
strike out. I want my own thing. She hits him with, you, but you, you have fear. And because you're fearful and you're brave, she emasculates him creatively. And this will resonate. I think this scene really speaks to so many things and so many power struggles in relationships where you're trying to draw an equivalence between each other. You're trying to find a balance, but actually the power balance doesn't ever quite, it's never quite like that. It was an incredibly uh, powerful um, scene in which, you know, one is accusing the other of stealing their creativity, quite literally in her case, stealing an idea of his and turning it into a book. Him having felt like he'd had his his dream, if you like, his creative dream stolen from him, which again lends itself to, did he kill himself? There's so much here to say that he could have killed himself. There's so much here to say that she could have killed him by, you know, not even necessarily on purpose, but that he may have fallen. And so the title, The Anatomy of a Fall, is such a clever title because, of course, we get given no concrete answers. You you know, we're surmising everything. I won't, I won't let you know what they actually decide in court. But, um, you know, in terms of the outcome of this film, um, you're not given a clear route out. My sense, as I've said earlier, is that she's a psychopathic writer who has narcissistically gobbled up everyone around hers, if not just their creativity and her husband, but uh, also their own life experience and their own traumas in terms of her child and I think potentially in this there's a moment in this where she's listening to the the story of her case on the television and she's sat I can't remember I think in a hospital or somewhere uh, you know uh, sort of eating lunch or something and as she's hearing it I'm th I thought to myself I thought wow this is going to be the subject of her next novel but I'd love to know what you think, guys. I want everyone to see this film. This is an excellent film. This is sensationally acted. It's all the better for the fact that it's not all bells and whistles. I'm a huge cinephile. I love films with, you know, sweeping cameras and focus pulls and rich grades and all that kind of stuff. This is very, you could argue, very functional, almost theatrical, but it's not. This is a wonderful film in which characterization is at the heart of it. You know, in some films, it can be the script that's great, or it's the camera work, or it's the editing, or it's the performance. This is the performance, obviously, and it's the script, but it's character. The character here is so deep and it's so real, and she holds her cards so completely to her chest that we are prevented from any clear, distinct, definitive sort of verdict that we can make for ourselves about did she or didn't she, did he fall, was he pushed, all this. I mean, you're, you're left thinking, could the dog have attacked him? Could the child have pushed him? What does the child know? What's in this for the child? Can the, chi uh, the child who can't see everything, has he seen everything? The dog that can't say anything, would it say everything if it could? All this kind of stuff. So much to like in this. So much to like in this. Or, as in, as in the title, did he just fall? Was he playing loud music? He was hammering a, a thing to the attic. And did he just fall? It could be just that. That simple. I doubt it. If I had to score it, I think I'd give this 98 out of 100. A near perfect film. <laughs>